Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, Unity. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much, Cheryl. It's a pleasure to uh, be meeting with you and uh, thank you for having me here. Yes. So can you start off by telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and your relationship to arthritis? Yes, sure. So my arthritis journey began, I basically was born into a near-death experience, uh, had like a traumatic birth experience and my mom was a nurse. And so she recognized like really early on that there was something going on with my health. So she saw like when she dressed me, she noticed that I seemed to be in pain and uh, she would tell the doctors, but they were like, you know what? It's a uh, first time mom, you just have a colicky baby. You're just being overprotective, you know? And uh, yeah. But then when I started to walk, they saw my gait was different. So then they put boots on me and I thought, oh, she just needs boots. But I would scream when they would put the boots on. And my mom's like, no, it's like this hurts her when I'm putting them on. They were like, no, no, you're just overprotective. And then um, one morning I stopped moving half of my body. And so when I stopped moving half of my body, that was when they were like, okay, there's something going on. And, uh, and so I ended up seeing different specialists. They did like uh, different videos with me, different like brain scans. They thought maybe cerebral palsy It was, you know, it's hard when someone is so little, like I was diagnosed just after my first birthday around 15 months of age. And that's a tricky age because you can't really have a dialogue with what's going on. <laughs> right. right. It's, it's all based off of what they physiologically physiologically could see. And it was a rheumatoid factor, um, blood work that ended up being able to give them the, the diagnosis after a lot of, um, you know, missed, uh, false ideas on the way, just trying to figure it all out. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So it's good that your mom was so proactive, you know, with noticing what was going on from a young age. And, you know, I know it's hard to summarize in a short period of time, but can you share some of the highs and lows of growing up as a young child with such a um, misunderstood condition. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say that, you know, because I've had it as long as I can remember, um, at first I didn't really realize, you know, immediately like how different I was until, you know, people would go to play, for example, hide and go seek. And I 
was sometimes sore, you know, like my knees would be sore to move or, um, I'd have swollen uh, joints. Like I had it and I still do like in different joints in my body. Um, and so, you know, realizing that things weren't as easy, you know, like other kids would, especially with sports activities and things that were more of a physical nature that they would go for it. And I wanted to, but I would realize, Oh, you know, there's limits here. And then I also had like splinting a lot of uh, doctor's appointments and blood work. I was offered to live at uh, Toronto sick kids hospital and, uh, and basically do schooling from there and live at the hospital um, and then come home for like holidays and that. But I was like, I don't want to do that. And my parents, they were saying, they, you know, they listened, they let me stay home with them, which I was grateful for. Wow. Uh, I would say one of the scariest moments was being in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I was around uh, seven years old. And uh, what had happened was I'd been playing hide and go seek. Um, and I'd been kind of like curled up in a ball, you know, had this really great hiding spot, but then my knee locked up and it locked up so bad that I like, I couldn't move it. And so my parents had to, you know, basically uh, carry me to the car wow. and then still, um, and then they said they were going to have to do surgery for my knee. And, uh, I was being wheeled around in ER and I said, I just had this, um, whether you call it like an inner voice or inside of my heart this calling like no like you're gonna be okay just have more time and usually whatever medically went to happen I, I just did it like I was you know a, a quote-unquote good, good kid <laughs> so mm-hmm. I would whatever blood work medication you know testing um no complaints but I was I really stood my ground I just said please give me time, just give me time. And so my parents, they advocated and they asked for the time and the doctors were kind of like, Oh, like, I don't, I don't think that's going to be enough, but, um, they put me under and, uh, and then when they put me under, they were able to like move my, uh, my knee into like a straight position and put a cast on it. And so I was carried up and down the stairs in elementary school for, for a while. Cause I had this big cast and I couldn't crutches, like with my wrists and my fingers and everything also arthritic. I didn't have the strength to use crutches, you know? And, uh, and so I was, you know, basically praying and hoping when that cast came off that I'd be able to walk. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, fortunately that I was, I was able to do that. So there's lots of like, you know, different stories, but I would say that would be one of a pretty big story for, for yeah. my experience. Yeah. From your childhood. Yeah. And if you don't mind sharing, you don't have to, if you don't want to, but Um, what time period was this? Was this in like the 1990s or the, uh, okay. In the nineties. Yeah. So I would have been, um, I believe I was around seven or eight years old. And so it would have been, oh no, not 90. Sorry. 87. 87. All right. Cause we're the same age. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, or around the same age. I was born in 81. Okay. Yeah. 79, November 70. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Math is hard, but yeah, <laughs> similar. Um, and okay. So, cause one of the things that uh, people who are newly diagnosed don't always know is how different the treatments are now for both juvenile idiopathic arthritis and adult rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and that, you know, that these, the severity that people experienced who are diagnosed prior to like the two thousands mid, you know, to, like I was diagnosed in 2003, um, you know, the, the severity and the rate of progression was a lot just worse to, for lack of a better word, yes. um, than, than now. So I didn't, I always want to put that caveat in, you know, but there's still many children and adults who don't respond to the, the uh, Western medical, you know, current treatments, but yes. many of them do. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing I'm always fascinated with by is that period of adolescence, like that, you know, transition from being a child to more like wanting to be an adult and, um, and also being a young adult and caught maybe a college student with, with balancing juvenile arthritis. Do you have any um, memories or wisdom to share from, from those periods? Sure. Um, So I would say that when I was adolescent, that was um, the hardest time. Uh, physically, I was really uh, unwell. I was in a lot of pain. Um, I'd been on a lot of different medication having arthritis so young. So yeah. uh, they started out with baby aspirin, like when I was really little. And then that, um, you know, grew into, uh, they tried sulfazalazine on me. Um, they did uh, prednisone at one point and gold treatments as well. And uh, cortisone injections, the gold treatments I had a bad reaction to. So like I had like a breakout of um, 
like hives and they had to like cut a sample to like understand uh, what was going on with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the prednisone, you know, like a lot of people have experienced, it's, it's a tricky drug. Like you feel a little bit like for myself, I just felt kind of funny and in my mind, like just tired and just not like myself, not fresh, you know, mm-hmm. and also um, weight gain. So I was like uh, poofy from the steroids, but also um, just seemed to like gain weight, like super easy. And um, so that was really hard, you know, cause I, uh, of course I couldn't participate in gym the same way too. And, and I didn't know anyone else with arthritis at the time. So I was also afraid for the future, you know, like afraid, like, oh, is this just going to get worse? Um, you know, am I ever going to be able to do the things that I want to do like other kids or, you know, one day, you know, get married and have a family and, yeah. and all that kind of thing. So that was, that was a pretty tricky time period for myself. And, um, you know, and then in high school, I ended up, I think I was around 16 years of age, 16 or 17. And that's when I started to have a dialogue with the doctors, um, more of a questioning everything. So when you're a child growing up with arthritis, you know, mom or dad say, take this, or the doctor says, take it. And you do. Right. Um, but once you're a teenager, you know, you start to kind of, um, find your own voice in a different way and be your own advocate. So I started to say like, okay, well, you know, is that methotrexate at that point? And I was saying, well, why do I have to get um, blood work so much blood work? Like, what are you guys like exactly looking for and what's going on with that? And then I started to understand like how intensive that, that medication was at the time from Mm -hmm. my body you know, and also told because I was a teenager, um, that one day, you know, when I went to be active or or have, if I went to have a family and I was still on that medication in in my future, that you you can't do that with that medication. And I thought, oh, this isn't going to work then. Because I said, even if this ends up working at the time, it wasn't working for me. Like nothing was giving me a breakthrough. I knew I want to be a mom. Like that was a huge driver for me. And I thought, well, even if this does work, this isn't going to be my answer because then I can't have my dream. And my dream was, you know, have a family, you know, there's other ideas I had like writing and uh, teaching or counseling, but I knew for sure mom was my number one dream, you know? And uh, so I actually walked away. I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they were Mm -hmm. like, you can't do that. (laughs) And I said, there's gotta be something else for me. Like if this was working for me, then that'd be different. But I've, I've been on this path for my whole life it was 16 or 17 years at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I'm sharing, I just, I know, you know, for some people, maybe they've got that progress and then, you know, then it's a different, a different story, a different journey. But for me, it just, it wasn't helping me, you know, and it was only, yeah. and there were so many risks involved because of how strong the medication was. So, yeah, yeah, no, I think it's fascinating to talk to you because it's like, I always like hearing people's stories that are so different from mine. Right. Cause yeah. I, having this platform, I want to make sure to give a voice to people with different experiences. You know, and I've had other people on here who've, who've taken alternate paths, but yeah, like I was on methotrexate. I've been on it since the very beginning and it, except for my pregnancy <laughs> and, um, and it worked, it's worked pretty well. I mean, I've always needed to take something else in conjunction with it. So I've never yeah. just been like methotrexate, what they call monotherapy, but yeah, I mean, but that doesn't mean that other people all have a great time with it. This is your journey. And as a teenager, that's your right to kind of, you know, like you said, advocate for yourself. So yeah, what, what, what happened next? Okay. So, you know, I kind of, I was nervous, right? Like I didn't know for sure if I was making the right move, but you know, and I didn't have anything around me to really understand like what the right move would be, but I thought there's gotta be more to this, you know? And the good news is, is I was a reader, you know, I like to self-educate on different topics that I would be interested in. And I ended up having different people uh, instrumental in my life who kind of would show up at the right time. Sometimes it would be an author. (laughs) Sometimes it would be like a person, like a a friend or even um, a parent, you know, from a relationship that I was in. And I started to be introduced to other, you know, different ways of approaching wellness. Now, I also had known growing up with arthritis that there was a lot of different ideas that people would give my mom, right? Like, oh, you know, get her on rice cakes or, you know, try this. There was like a horse cream at one point someone gave us and all sorts of things. And, you know, we, my mom would try it with me and, and nothing would happen. Right. Um, so I understand the letdown of, of trying different approaches and 
kind of you can get burnt out by that thinking like you know no no none of them all of this is a sham um but fortunately i got guided to be introduced to different uh, natural therapies so for example uh, naturopathic medicine like a naturopathic doctor uh, learning about that approach i also started studying about how nutrition can play a role with inflammation in the body and so uh, kind of experimenting and learning more about that um so at one point on my path i actually was raw vegan for a while and, um, and like, and if people don't know, you're saying raw space vegan, right? <laughs> I just want to make sure. Cause if people aren't aware that they yeah. might be like, what's raw vegan? Like as if it's one word, yeah. sorry. I was always trying to think of, because people ask me questions sometimes afterwards. I was like, oh shoot, I should have clarified. Yeah. So vegan with only not just vegan, but raw food, like uncooked. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. It was intense. Yes. It was a uh, gluten-free raw vegan. So you'd make like your nut cheeses and uh, you'd use like a dehydrator to do baking. Um, or if you oh, want yeah. something warm, you know, so that way you didn't lose, um, basically the concept is you don't want to kill out any of the nutrition, um, or like the helpful enzymes and that. And, you know, honestly, that was really helpful. Like all of these different tools were, where I saw a difference. Like I was noticing like, Oh, I'm more comfortable. I'm waking up more comfortable. I'm moving better. There was nothing that was like a cure, but all of it gave me more progress than anything else had before. And I also started studying uh, energy medicine. So yeah. um, I started learning about uh, Reiki um, and other forms of energy medicine uh, from sound medicine, as well as even uh, shamanism and a uh, different wow. form of natural therapies. And I just had uh, so much progress with that. And then two other fundamental things that happened to me was when I was a little girl, there was this one um, physiotherapist who came into our home and she actually did a meditation tape for me. And the meditation tape had me visualize pain as balls, like these colorful balls in my body and had me like kind of play with them and move them out. And I remember thinking, wow, like it made me feel like I had some kind of power over the pain. And that was really good for me. And I also felt like a little bit of a difference from that, like as a child. And I thought, what is this? <laughs> you know, like, how is this possible? So it made me um, open-minded about things that maybe would seem more magical or more unbelievable. Right. And, yeah. um, and then the other experience that I had was when I was in high school, I saw, I believe it was an occupational therapist at the time or someone doing that pain management. And they hooked me up to a neurofeedback machine. And so I could hear like the boop, 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 right. And I had all these noises. I thought, well, I don't understand what's going on, but okay. And then uh, she said, okay, I want you to try something. I want you to try to just quiet your mind, take a few deep breaths and just, you know, find a space inside of you. That's just really still. And so I thought, Okay, sure. And so I did that. And because I used that meditation tape, you know, when I was little and, and tried different things like that, I had progress and the machine went really quiet. And then I got excited because I thought, oh, did I do that? And then as soon as I was excited, it was like, boop, 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 boop. <laughs> oh got, my gosh. Yeah. And then she explained to me that what she was trying to show me was that stress has an impact on the disease and had an impact on my pain. And that if I could learn to go into um, a space within my, in, within myself, then I could at the very least, you know, help to relax like my muscles around my joints. And by doing that, that uh, thereby alleviate some of the discomfort that was there. And so that was another one of those kind of magical moments, but that was grounded in like uh, science and modern medicine as well, as well as a later, you know, historical medicine too that helped me have that open mind to see, I need to keep exploring these ideas and these concepts because there's something here that's working for me. And so I have to find out like what this is all about, you know? Yeah, really. It's really, it seems like a journey of understanding the power of your own mind um, and, and that mind body connection, which it does seem that the Western medicine is uh, catching up or the Western science is catching up with some of these, and that's just a gross generalization, but I know that like biofeedback is an example, or, you know, doing functional MRIs of people. I know they've done ones of people meditating and shown, you know, how powerful it is. So I think that's incredible. I mean, that I feel like when I'm in a lot of pain, sorry, just projecting here, I don't have a lot of energy to like mental energy to learn new things. So I'm trying to imagine you as like, you know, a teen and then maybe, you know, early 20 something you're in all this pain and you have, you actually expended the energy, which is so hard to do to learn these things. I'm just, my hat's off to you. Thank you. I think uh, what helped with that is that as an only child, 
you know, and as someone who also couldn't participate in activities that were my peers were doing, um, that meant that storybooks were huge for me. Like I always had my, you know, my nose in a book and uh, in those imaginary worlds, you know, that I could enter through the imagination and sometimes mm-hmm. through my writing as well. Um, that, that was like an escape from the pain. You know, I wouldn't think about my pain when I'd be reading or writing uh, stories. And so um, I think that that helped be a natural crossover for meditation because meditation for the ones I experienced um, was basically like going on a journey within myself that I wasn't in my body where I had all these limits at the time, right? These limits. I was able to go somewhere different. And um, so I think that helped me too, you know, to to get into that space. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I'm sure some of the listeners will be wondering like, what were some of the books? Do you mind sharing them that you read about these different practices or, or maybe if did you visit, I know you mentioned naturopaths, you know, any specific sure. resources that would be awesome. Yeah, of course. Um, I would say that one book that I read um, at one point was uh, Barbara Brennan. And I'm trying to think, I think it was, um, was it like the healing hands of light or I'm trying, there's so many books, honestly, show that I've read, but I remember oh. that that one was really interesting. Like it went into more um, about like the chakras and the body as an mm-hmm. energetic field. Um, but I also a huge uh, teacher for myself as well was Dr. Joseph Campbell. Um, he wrote uh, the power of myth. And so basically yeah. he was this amazing teacher uh, and philosopher um, who, you know, he had a moment in his childhood where he saw a totem pole and he thought, what is this? Like, you know, something lit up for him um, the way that it did for me with like meditations. And, uh, and he wanted to explore that. So when he became an adult, he started to learn more about uh, all the different uh, stories around the world, like the mythologies and the stories and the themes and how there was like a commonality in all of them. Mm-hmm. And he called it the hero's journey. And you know, so I would read books by uh, Joseph Campbell because I love learning about other cultures and I love like studying, um, you know, learning about different spiritual beliefs and different concepts because you know, my spiritual, that part of myself as well, that gave me a lot of hope. Like I had a lot of faith, um, but I was very open-minded. So I, you know, I wanted to keep understanding like, well, what do other people believe too? And like, what else is out there? And, um, and so kind of learning all of those different ways and how there is these, these common themes and this common narrative and archetypes um, that showed me that there's something really magical and so much bigger going on that that's connecting everyone. And so mm-hmm. that was part of my path too. And I also, um, you know, met some different people who, you know, some of them did like Reiki, some of them did like shamanic work. And I traveled with my husband's career. We ended up in Australia at one point because he was in the visual effects world. He was working on the movie 300 and uh and happy feet and um we were we were there at one point <laughs> pregnant in Oz and uh I talk about that more in my SOS audio stories yes <laughs> happy to have for your community I want to give them free access to to all of this yes that's your book and you know video <laughs> uh journey as well yeah so sorry so you went to Australia and did you get to do because I've went to Australia too um <laughs> and and studied intercultural studies there as part of my anthropology minor but yeah and so there's such a rich history there, the Aboriginal traditions. Did you get to learn any of that? Or is that where your head was going? Well, when I was there, I actually, I didn't know anybody, you know, so for, of course, my husband and I was pregnant with our son. And so um, I was careful where I was going, what I was doing, you know, and there was someone that I ended up meeting at a street market and she invited me into this um, meditation circle. And uh, so I joined that. And then I found out that it was also like, um, you know, doing like intuitive work and mediumship and they were professionals and I was just, you know, this person that was interested in all of these things. And then I ended up, you know, so I, but I love meditation. And so that was a natural bridge for me with all that work. So I started sharing, you know, things from, from that experience with the people in the room. And then they were like, oh, how long have you been doing this for? And I'm like, I don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, let's see about 30, 30 minutes. How long have we been here? Yeah. <laughs> and so they said, you know, no, like you do do this. And so I, I felt like, well, it makes sense because of, you know, path of pain and being a child, there was a lot of time where I would, you know, I would practice meditation or I would just go into like those imaginative spaces within myself or really think deeply about spiritual ideas. And 
there were different dreams I had that would come true as well, but those are, that's a, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about there. Anyway, so I realized like, okay, there's, you know, there's something more going on with this. So I felt like Joseph Campbell has this saying where he basically says, you know, if you follow your bliss, then the universe will open doors where there were once only walls. And mm. so I felt like that's what was happening, that when I would do things that felt right, like in my heart, and that felt right, like in, you know, kind of like soul alignment, or consciousness, mindful alignment, whatever, however you want to, you know, see that, um, that suddenly I would be in the right place at the right time with the right person to learn like the next thing, you know, it was almost like this toolkit that was growing within me, these different experiences that I got to have. And that really shaped me, you know, into becoming, uh, and still do, you know, cause every day I think we're all learning and growing from each other in the world. Yes. And uh, what were you studying at the time? Um, So when I did, I was originally doing a double degree. So I was studying English and psychology because I thought I either want to be a teacher, a writer, or a psychologist. So that's um, so similar to me. Sorry. And we're talking about you today, but yeah, (laughs) uh, I studied psychology and I wanted, I was going to get my master's in special ed because that was my passion at the time. And anyway, but then I became an occupational therapist, but yeah, that's, and I, now you're, you've written so much. So that's so cool that you've, and you're doing psychological work, of course. So that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. It's funny how it all comes together, right? Like I ended up, you know, it's, it's coming, it came across in a whole different way than university, right? But it all connects, you know, and I love that you are part of that path too. You know, I think that when you come from like the wounded healer path, there is, you know, when you look into like being empowered by it and really learning and exploring more, it's, it's interesting how we can kind of meet or share commonalities there. Right. I have never heard of that phrase, the wounded healer. I love that. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I just had to write that down. As you said, it's a beautiful one. I took a class in college called from shamanism to biomedicine, the anthropology of healing. And it was so fascinating, but it was the only like medical anthropology, medical focused anthropology class at my school. So I I was like really wishing there was more because, you know, so it's funny how, yeah, I've ended up learning a little bit over the years, but yeah, for my own medical journey, it's been more on the traditional Western medicine again, just cause that's worked for me. Yeah, but if it hadn't, then I would be seeking more of this cause it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And so I know one of the words I'm just going to be self-reflective about myself for one second. One of the words I have a funny relationship to, is that right? Or with too, maybe is, is healing. Like, cause I guess I feel a little defensive because even though I haven't, I feel like I'm already a whole person, like a healed person, like in terms of my being, I know my physical body isn't in an ideal situation, you know, cause I need this medication to function, but I'm like, I don't need to heal. I'm already healed. I'm cool. But then I know that for most people, healing is such a powerful concept Mm -hmm. and like self-healing. So can you explain what healing means to you? Almost like on the, tell me like I'm a kindergartner way so that I understand better. Cause I I have a cop, let's just say I have complicated feelings about the word healing for some unknown reason. (laughs) Right. So it makes sense, you know, and I think that there would have been moments in my life where I would have as well. I would have even been sometimes even angry about that word. Like, ah, don't tell me that word because I would feel worried like, oh, that's something that maybe is unattainable. That's how I would have felt. And so the word healing, it's interesting. If we think of the word healthy, we actually see the word heal inside of the word healthy. Right. And, you know, and it's heal thy. So if you think of like a healthy body, it's heal thy body. Or if you think of a healthy mind, it's heal thy mind or heal thy soul. Right. So if we want to be healthy, then we want to be focused on that word heal and healing. And so to me, uh, healing or self-healing is about always seeking that wholeness and that harmony and that balance. And um, for myself, I feel it's a lifelong goal. Like, you know, there can be moments in my life where I feel like, oh, like I'm really on top of this, you know, this space. Like I'm really energetically here, mind, body, emotion, soul. And then there's other times where like everything in life, there's cycles, right? So I think of it um, in my book, the SOS Energy Report, um, spoiler alert, but SOS, I make it stand for seasons of self. So it's about the seasons as an analogy for ourselves and for our life path. And that just like all the seasons in the world, you know, there's different phases. Nowhere is it always summer or it's always winter or fall or spring. So it comes around again. And Uh, And to think of healing as basically understanding the cycles of life and the cycles of like energetic wellness and wholeness and striving towards like harmony and balance, whatever cycle you're in. So if you're in a real challenging time, 
it can be in the season of winter, you know, everything can feel kind yeah. of frozen and stiff, especially with arthritis um, <laughs> and blocked. Right. Um, but if you're in a really incredible, harmonious and uplifting place, and it's like the summer, every feel, everything feels like moving and fluid and organically growing and, uh, and fruitful. And so the other thing with healing is it's not about sometimes when people think of healing or self-healing, they think, oh, you can only do it, you know, on path A or path B. So it's got to be only the natural way or only, you know, modern medical. But to me, it's whatever weaving is meant for each individual, you know, so for example, you know, so for example. Um, maybe one person, they're going to get everything they need from uh, nutrition, maybe someone else, it's modern medicine, and that's exactly their path for healing. And maybe someone, you know, there's another person who it's a weaving of complementary medicines and complementary uh, practices for healing and wellness. But it's interesting, because like that course that you talked about, I really see uh, that it's all similar things, but with different words and different ways to approach the same subject matter, you know, mm-hmm. and it's exciting with like neuroplasticity and, and the study of the human mind and, uh, you know, positive psychology and even rogue psychology, they're really realizing, you know, spiritual concepts and spiritual breakthroughs that were talked about for thousands of years are now lining up with more of the modern medicine and modern um, biological perspectives and, and proof that, you know, they can kind of recognize recognize each other and there can be that harmony and I think it's because when there's a fundamental truth it's true whatever way you look at it you know if if it's if it's true there's no like oh but if I flip it over here it's not true anymore right and so um sorry to be a bit (laughs) long-winded oh no no I'm always saying that I go on like soapboxes you weren't on like a soapbox in in a bad way at all but I'm no I think this is fascinating personally I find it very very fascinating. And like, they, I, I think it when you have anxiety about your health, which almost anyone would, would have anxiety as a normal response to getting a diagnosis, yes. you know, like, so I think when you, when you feel stress or anxiety, which I think anyone would as a normal response to getting a diagnosis, like juvenile idiopathic arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or ankylosing spondylitis, there's a, what your brain wants is a really simple answer, right? The simple answer is you have to only do Western medicine or the simple answer is you only do alternative paths. And the reality is that for many people, it's going to be a complex situation and it will evolve and change over time. So I like that how you were saying, you know, you weave it, the solutions for you out of whatever's working at that moment. Is that correct? Exactly. And it can change, right? Like there might be some things that stay consistent and that there's a consistent flow and there might be other things where suddenly you have to adapt. And, and I think it's so important to stay open-minded and just really see what works for you and to keep open to, to just, you know, explore that and discover that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you've done a lot of work on, on mindset and the power of the mind. Um, Do you want to share a little bit more about that before we delve into your book? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, basically uh, the one thing with mindset is our mind impacts us. Like it really uh, affects so much of how we're going to do energetically. Right. So for example, the placebo effect, that's a good way to tie in, you know, a spirit, more of a spiritual or etherical concept, like how our mind impacts us. Um, So the placebo effect is, uh, was discovered by accident, but I say by synchronicity. Um, And it was during world war two. And Beecher discovered it because he they'd run out of uh, morphine. And so, you know, there's these soldiers, they're in pain, they need help. And he didn't want to let them down. He didn't want to be like, oh, well, we don't have any painkiller left. So he did injections of saline instead. And he just pretended it was morphine because he didn't have the heart to say, you know, like this, I don't have anything for you. And then the, you know, the miracle uh, was that they were having pain relief. They were actually acting as if they'd received the morphine. And that was how the placebo effect was. You could either say accidentally, or I like to say synchronistically discovered. Um, and so modern medicine really understands this is a real phenomenon and uh, they understood it so much that they actually have to rule it out. So if there's a new medication or treatment that they want to make sure, you know, is genuinely effective, they have to rule out the placebo effect by doing like a, a sugar pill, like a pretend, um, you know, treatment. And then they have to see 
like, okay, well, is it the placebo that is making this happen? Or is this truly this new uh, treatment plan? But I think that is such an important thing to understand. Well, why is the placebo effect even possible, right? Like, why is it even possible that by just having someone's mindset, have the expectation that they're going to experience like healing or wellness um, or comfort or pain relief, that that happens. And, um, you know, and so that is, you know, one angle of that. There's, there's a lot of different angles and layers. So mindset, you know, we realize, and also like through neuroplasticity and through like Dr. Ellen Langer studies on uh, mindfulness, that our mind has so much power and whatever we expect, we actually start to create. So if you're coming at this from like a spiritual angle, then you might think about, um, the law of attraction or manifestation. But if you're coming at this from more of a, like a scientific level or modern medicine, then you can think of like neuroplasticity. You can think of the quantum field or that maybe like the holographic universe or string theory. It really depends on, on which way you're weaving it. But uh, once again, it's one of those fundamental truths that no matter which way or which discipline you're, you're approaching it, that we see that the mind is powerful. And then there's a lot of, you know, famous uh, books and literature where it talks about that, you know, from from centuries ago in all different cultures in the world, different voices that say that like Hermes talks about as above, so below. And he's not just specifically speaking about the mind, but he's speaking about how, you know, what, what something is in one way it is in all ways. And if you think about it, like if you are watching a movie, right. And it's a horror movie, you, your body will respond as if it should be, uh, you know, be ready to do fight or flight. Your stress response will be triggered and you can actually, you know, you're going to have that happening in your bloodstream and your body, your pupil are going to dilate your heart might go up. If someone, you know, comes up to you unexpectedly, even though you're safe and you know, it's just a a movie, the same thing happens with uh, oxytocin and like uh, feel good hormones and, and, you know, stimulation that if our mind is around things that are beautiful or peaceful or harmonious, then that's actually the energetic field that we start to uh, build and create. So it's really important that we have consciousness over our thought patterns and that we put practices into, you know, putting uh, time into mindfulness so that we can empower our mind to gravitate towards the direction that we actually want it to go, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I was just, I always bring everything back to acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a mindfulness-based therapy that has worked really well for me. I just, I laugh because I always talk about it, but, um, yeah, like I think one of the hardest things for me it's it, when I tried to apply this to myself as somebody living with chronic illness or chronic pain is that to try to be truly present in the present moment when the present moment is not physically super comfortable. Can you explain like how you, how do you do it? No, (laughs) I would say that. I think that it's not too often that everything about someone's present moment is comfortable. So I know when we have chronic pain or chronic illness, it's very easy to see, like, we are not comfortable in in different, you know, places or for example, the body, but really there's always things going on around us or within us that could create uh, stress or turmoil or be distracting. However, the same goes with everything that is harmonious and everything that is balanced, you know, so looking at the simplest things and seeing, well, what is comfortable? What is beautiful here? How can I have, you've probably heard of like an attitude of gratitude, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even if you're in pain or if there's challenges kind of saying, okay, well, what can I focus on that I'm grateful for right now? Like that's, that's one pathway in. And then another thing is the seasons of self and then like the energy book that I did, it's about saying, well, I'm in the winter right now. If we think of it as, you know, so if we're in a really rough place, maybe in our body or mind, emotion, maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's just physical pain, right? Then we can say, okay, well, that's, this is our winter season right now. Things can feel cold. They can feel bleak. Everything can feel really like desolate, like a frozen spell. But I know that winter doesn't last forever. You know, it can be long. Some winters are harder, but eventually spring will come. And in the spring, you know, just like a seed, we break through, right? The spring is where breakthroughs are born and that's where new growth happens and possibility. And so by having, you know, thinking of things as like the seasons of self or the seasons of self healing, it can help you when, when the world around you or within you is really challenging to think of it that way and go, I'm in a cycle right now. It's a cycle of winter of, of challenge. But if I hold on and I work through and I look to weave in whatever healing I can within me and, and around me, then I can make it to spring and spring will happen. And from spring comes summer, so forth. So and that's one of the things that, um, that I do with my book, as well as the quiz where people can kind of um, understand and rate their energy centers and, and see where they're at and get some, you know, some ideas for that, you know, dealing with uh, that pain body or that pain perspective to put it into a healing place. 
That's so powerful. Yeah. And I, I like, it starts from a place of acceptance, which I like that you're saying, I accept that, or I, maybe I don't want to put the word in your mouth, but I know winter is where I'm at. I'm not going to like pretend that I'm in summer or that if I just tried harder, I would suddenly fast forward out of winter. Like maybe just accepting that like in the present moment, this is what I'm dealing with, but what is still possible, you know, or what is, what can I still attune myself to in this moment. I think that's been for me, the most powerful thing, because I always in the past was like such a problem solver. Like I just, I wanted to just, you know, find the solution, fix it, fix it, fix it, you know, instead of being present with what's just actually there, you know? So, but yeah, I want, I want to ask more about the, okay. So tell us a little more about the SOS energy report, the survivor's guide to a survivor's guide to self-healing breakthroughs that you wrote. Yes, thank you so much. So um, in a nutshell, it's I did it to be really fast. So I you know, designed it as a really fast read and it teaches people about some of these concepts that we're exploring today. So basically, how does modern medicine and science approach ideas like healing, right? And how does ancient you know, ancestral practices or um, ancient belief systems approach healing? And where's commonality there, common ground? And then I also explore like the energy center specifically um, through the chakras. Um, and learning more about that. And then there's a questionnaire in there that people can kind of rate and assess their energy through their own self-assessment and self-reflection and see like, okay, where are some of my body strengths or my body challenges or weaknesses, as well as mind and emotion and soul. And then they can get a number through that. And there's also an online quiz so that you don't have to do all the math, you know, yourself, you can just pop it into a quiz and have it do it for you. And then you're given um, a season for each energy center in your, in your body and in your field. So you can see like, okay, this makes sense. I have a lot of winter happening right now, or maybe there's some areas in your body where there's some spring and summers. And then there's some other areas where there's like a fall or winter season. And then there's uh, basically some, you know, some suggestions to help you uh, like to help anyone, the reader read it and to think, okay, I'm going to think about this this way. And then I also have six audio stories that are uh, self-healing stories. It's like some, you know, basically a sneak peek into how did this, you know, take shape, right? How did this framework come into existence? How was it grown? And so I share some six stories from my life path and, uh, and also through my own winter, my own seasons of winter and struggle and, you know, and coming into uh, finding this harmony and finding this, this approaching, you know, pr- approaching this through a healing perspective. And so that is what, you know, the book is designed to be really quick. I have other books on the go, but with, uh, with COVID and that I wanted something fast. So anyone who's stressed out or they're in pain, or they're just feeling overwhelmed that they can have a, a bit of a breakthrough, a few breakthroughs and feel a little more hope and, uh, and really look into healing possibilities for their life path. That's, that's incredible. And I think I almost wonder if you could find those old, uh, the old physiotherapist and occupational therapist that planted some of these seeds and kind of go back and say, look, look, look what the seeds you planted now have grown into this, you know, incredible journey that you've had. I would love that. I would love to do that for sure. Yeah. I'm sure they would love it. Cause like, like I've worked in pediatrics before and like, I sometimes forget that, you know, something that I taught a child might have, you know, actually stayed with them. So, so but anyway, uh, I'm trying, sorry. I'm like, always interrupting my own train of thought. Um, and I also, the other thing was you mentioned earlier that when you were young, and you were on methotrexate, you were really, or, you know, as a teenager, you were worried because you, you had this dream of being a mother and they were telling you, know, the doctors were telling you that you wouldn't be able to, if you, you know, staying on methotrexate, but now you've mentioned that you're pregnant, but can you, can you tell the audience a little bit about the family that you have? <laughs> Sure, thank you. So you heard a little sneak peek with my husband. We've been together. It'll be 20 years next week and we have two teenagers and, you know, I'm really grateful that, you know, they're, they're thriving and, and they're well. And uh, it's been, you know, my dream came true, right? My dream to be a mom and to have a family. And I feel really grateful for that. And um, yeah, and actually I, we homeschooled for, for quite a while too. So that was such wow. a to be able to have them right there, you know, and uh, they're off into high school now and they're doing awesome. And I'm super proud of them. (laughs) That's so great. Yeah. And I'm curious about um, how active your disease has been like in the last, you know, or was it active when you were pregnant at all or postpartum or (laughs) summarize the last 15 years? No. (laughs) 
Um, so basically, you know, like everything in life, I have different cycles. So sometimes it's quieter and then other times, you know, I can still have flare ups, but it's a lot better than when I was a child. When I was a child, I would wake up and sometimes I couldn't walk, you know, and I would have um, consistent joint pain. I would always feel the weather like a walking bra. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know that the more that I put into practice, all these uh, different things that I help other people explore within themselves that I see huge progress, you know, and, but if I'm off and I'm doing all the things that I shouldn't be doing, right. Like if I'm, um, for myself and I know it's unique for everybody, but for me, if I have like too much gluten or sugar, or if I'm not putting that time into like my meditative practice and into like energetic work, energy medicine, and uh, I'm not doing what I need to do to take care of me, then I do see that the arthritis, uh, you know, it's still there and it it can start, it will impact me, right? In a negative way, but it's so much um, more like, when I see, I still see a rheumatologist every few years, like I see him. And he doesn't know what to do with me because, you know, like, okay, so how's it going? And he, he has to do my movements with my joints and that, and he writes down his notes, but that's it. And I do that because I respect modern medicine and I respect his perspective. And if he ever has something and I feel it's in alignment with what my personal path is, and, you know, I'm always open-minded about it, but for me, I've had so much good progress, you know, like when I was pregnant, I didn't have a remission. Like I know some people said during pregnancy, they didn't feel anything. So, mm-hmm. um, but I had a really healthy pregnancy and, um, and I didn't have a lot of joint pain and with the weather, you know, once in a while, if I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing, then I do feel it right. Like I can mm-hmm. be a doctor, like, Nope, the weatherman is not right today. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but as long as I'm applying all those best practices, then I really have a lot of comfort in my body and a lot of peace, but I also do um, have some, uh, what would you call it with contractures in that, in my body oh. from when I was little, like, mm-hmm. because I have, yeah, from the arthritis doing the damage it did in the past. Right. So, yeah, yeah, no, but that's so powerful. And I think, um, something that my colleague, um, I'm joke, I'm laughing at myself as she's far above me, but, um, but Dr. Brawny came on the podcast way long ago and she has a PhD in psychology and she's an occupational therapist and she lives with fibromyalgia. And she made this point from acceptance of commitment therapy, but it's that like we, in it's worth it, we can do, we do things that we know can cause us pain. Like once you get to know your body and know your triggers, you know, you might say like in your case, you mentioned gluten and sugar, you know, if it's a really special event, like a wedding or a birthday, you might say, you know, I know that this action, I will later on, I'll feel a little bit stiffer, but it's worth it because I want to enjoy this moment, you know, I want to just enjoy the sensory experience of eating this cake, you know, so I think with healing, sometimes it can become this very myopic focus of like, like a perfectionism. And I don't, nothing that you've said sounds like that, but I'm saying about other people I've talked to are like, you know, people, there's this orthorexia, which is basically like an unhealthy obsession with it's psychologically unhealthy obsession with healthy and clean eating, you know, that can happen. So I love that you're, you're embracing this very, like, you know, peaceful, balanced approach. Yes. Thank you. And yeah, I think it's so important to, you know, do whatever that means, right? Like, so there might be some people and for them, it's, you know, a hundred percent and they're, you know, they're hardcore sure. if that works for them. Then, you know, like, woohoo, <laughs> right. True. Uh, from my own life path, I just find that, you know, kind of navigating that terrain and, and making those choices and making them as best as we can. Right. And yeah, but everyone is, has such a unique life path and, and there's places where we all meet, but no, I, I appreciate what you shared there. You know, that's, that's an interesting way to, to look at it as well. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way before. Cause I think, again, I was kind of like a all or nothing personality, I guess. Cause I was like, well, of course your goal is to just not have pain. Or I, I shouldn't say I was like an avoidant person. I would wanted to avoid pain. Like goal is avoid pain, you know, at all costs. And she made a really, I thought she just made a really good point that like, sometimes we do things or like, yeah, pick up my child, you know, when postpartum when I knew, Oh, my hands are a little sore today, but it's like, I want to pick up my child. You know, I don't want to ask someone else to pick them up for me right now. So I'm going to experience a little pain to have that joy of picking them up myself and holding them to my chest, you know, something like that. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great one. You know, like it's, I think it's really important to make the best choices. And 
Um, and some, you know, some things are worth the risk, right? Like picking up your child and having that, that mother moment. I know, uh, there's some things that I did too, like being a mom that I pushed myself physically in different ways, even just uh, something as simple for everyone else, riding a bike. Like for me, that was a huge thing. Um, and uh, I learned because I wanted to bike with them when they were kids. I thought, I don't want to miss out on bike rides with my kids. So I'm learning and it was scary because I didn't want to damage, you know, I didn't want to fall and take a hit to, uh, to my joints. Um, but you know, it was intelligent wrists with, uh, with pads too. I put like knee pads on, <laughs> that was, Art, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> you know, being protective, but taking intelligent risks where, you know, where you see that there's a greater good, like greater reward that can come out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And everyone that's going to be a little bit different for as well. That's so true. The cost benefit analysis for each individual is really different. Well, this has been so great. I wish we had like hours and hours to chat, but um, before I have to wrap up, do you have anything else you'd want to say to the audience or any messages for maybe um, my favorite kind of people to talk to these days are the newly diagnosed, you know, since they favorite, I love everyone, but you know, like that's, you know, my heart goes out because that's such an overwhelming time. Do you have any anything you'd want to share? Yeah, sure. So I would say that just, you know, stay open-minded and open-hearted as much as you can. This is a challenging life path to be on. Um, But the more that you stay open, the more that you can see, you know, what's going to work for you, right? And follow that and really explore, like, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to investigate different modalities and different pathways to to weave whatever's best for your journey. And I, I call it your own hero or healer's journey. And that's what you're on. And I wish you like much success. And I also am going to give you a link, Cheryl, for your um, community so they can all have access to this book for free, as well as online quiz and the stories to hopefully give them some more hope and, uh, and some ideas for healing and, and balance as well. That's phenomenal. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, more tools in your toolbox, you know, the more empowered you a lot of time. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry we don't have longer but um, this is going to be so helpful. I know to so many people, you know, I, I just really appreciate your time and your energy. I can feel your energy through, through the zoom, <laughs> through the power of the screen. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And I appreciate your time and I feel your energy too. You're so genuine and you're so caring and giving and generous. And I, I love sharing with you. And the link I believe is going to be the SOS um, I think it's SOS audiobook forward slash ALP for arthritis life, uh, life. Pod. Oh, okay, great. And yeah. I'll make sure to get it for the show notes yeah. and you're on Instagram at unity Schmidt, S C H M I D T, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Awesome. No, I really appreciate your perspective. I think I've mentioned this before, but I sometimes get a little stressed out when I think about like all the different treatment options and like Again, that part of me that just want, I still have that part of me that just wants the one path for everyone. I'm just a little stubborn about that. So I think it's, I, I, I think it's just so important to, for, for many people, including myself to get out of that mindset that there's only one path. You know, there's, there's so many different, like you and I are similar ages. I mean, I would diagnose at different times definitely affects it a lot. Cause I was immediately put on biologics, which makes my prognosis different, but still, you know, we've different journeys and we're both, we're both achieved our dreams of being a mom, you know, both of us achieved the dream of being a wounded healer. I'm just like going to call myself that now. <laughs> I love it. So thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love having the time with you today. And thanks for all you do. I love how you help out the community and empower everyone with tools. And, oh, thank uh, you. For- <laughs> Oh my gosh. Mutual appreciation. Okay. Bye-bye for now. Bye, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. 
And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.